The materials disclosed on this podcast are deemed to be sales desk literature and subject to our client communication policy and code of conduct, as well as IROC rules. If you had asked me that question about a month ago, I would have said there's very little chance, but there's been some recent leaks in the uh, Iran media that suggest that uh, the economic struggles are risking some popular uprising, and there have been suggestions from some of the clerics to uh, the new president, Racy to the go ahead and try to get a deal done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the FX Factor podcast and our first one for this year. So happy new year to all of our listeners. There's a lot to talk about. Now, one of the things that I like to do with this podcast is to focus on a specific topic and invite an expert from that area on to discuss it. For this episode, I wanted to talk a bit about what we're seeing happen in the energy space, and I invited our resident expert, Sean Sherman, who is in charge of commodity fundamental analysis here at CIBC, to talk a bit about some of the developments that we've seen in the crude oil and natural gas prices. Welcome back to the pod, Sean. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Yeah, it's been a while since we've since we've had you on, and there's certainly a lot of uh, developments in uh, the energy space. So why don't we start off with oil? We're a few weeks into the year already, and of course, we've seen uh, this pop in crude prices up by more than 10% so far. That's after a pretty hefty 55% rise last year. In your opinion, what's the main reason behind this latest rally? Yeah, well, the simplest explanation is that the demand recovery continues to outpace the supply recovery. That's resulted in OECD storage relative to demand falling to the lowest level since 2018. And not coincidentally, that's the last time prices were this high. In addition to the thin inventory level, we have uh, supply outages in Ecuador, Libya, and the U.S. that have been about half a million barrels a day each. These disruptions have more than offset monthly quota increases from OPEC, which nominally are 0.4 million barrels per day. So walk me through the supply shortage story here a bit. How much capacity does OPEC Plus have at this point to ramp up production if need be? Well, there's a wide range of estimates on OPEC's spare capacity given uh, the price crash and the lack of investment during the pandemic. But we think that it's concentrated in four core members of OPEC, which are Saudi Arabia, UAE, Kuwait, and Iraq. And we think that's about 3.4 million barrels a day currently and see that declining to about 1.6 million barrels a day by year end. This is only about half of the pre-pandemic norm. So you can see we have a low spare capacity buffer and a low global storage buffer to offset any supply outages. Right. So, I mean, why are we here, though? Why isn't there more of an ability to increase production globally? And I'm not just referring to OPEC+, Plus. I'm also referring to other producers as well. Yeah, well... Before this, the U.S. was a spoiling producer, similar to OPEC. But uh, as has been the case in most commodities, there's been a lack of investment in supply due to poor returns before the pandemic, a shift to pay down debt during the pandemic to survive, and then uncertainty now about the long-term demand picture for oil with the energy transition. So investors are demanding a return of capital right now over growth in this environment. And even OPEC Plus producers have invested less um, in the short term to shore up their finances, as I said before. But now balance sheets are improved. Investors may accept some growth, uh, even though they want more return on capital than they got before. So I think that uh, we're starting to see the U.S. grow for sure. It's just going to take a little while to get back to where we were pre-pandemic. And when you say a little while, do you mean several quarters or are we talking about several years here? We expect year over year growth this year of a million barrels a day, but we would not get a new annual record until 2023. 
and then most likely not a monthly record until 2024. So we're, we're a ways off still. So what about OPEC Plus? What's your read on them going forward? What can we expect from the cartel at the next meeting and also over the coming quarters? Yeah, well, the latest production cut deal that they, in July last year, called for them to raise quotas by 0.4 million barrels a day each month through September 2022. That came with the option to pause three times by the end of this year. But given the current supply deficit, it seems most likely that they'll just go ahead with those 0.4 increases every month through September. Consuming countries, including the U.S., may press for more again, but they already kind of fired their bullet with the SPR release that is going on right now. And the OPEC doesn't really have much incentive to go ahead with more and faster increases given that their spare capacity is already low. But I think there are two things that can alter that. They don't have an interest in seeing oil rise above $100, given that would hit the economy and uh, accelerate the energy transition. So they could go and increase by perhaps 0.8 one month and try to get ahead of price increases. The other thing would be a uh, U.S.-Iran nuclear deal, which would bring back Iran's a million and a half barrels a day um, to the market. And that could actually cause them to, to pause or perhaps even cut. Great. So I'll circle back to the Iran question in a few minutes because I think that's very important to touch on. But what I wanted to get to was your take on whether or not we'll see something akin to what we saw at certain points last year, where it did feel like the OPEC plus deal was uh, in jeopardy to a degree, uh, or at least um, you know there, there were a few members that were too happy with their production quotas. You see the risk of that happening this time around? And what's the end game there? Does that uh, September deadline that OPEC plus has highlighted get rolled even further out? Well, I think they all see the strong incentive to continue cooperating. And given that spare capacity, like I said, is really concentrated in very few members, you know, no one can really make a stink about supply quotas. And it doesn't even matter if they did because they couldn't even reach that quota. So it's really about what does Saudi Arabia want? What does the UAE want? What does Russia want? And they're all fine with their quotas at the moment. And the only thing that would make them want higher quotas is if the world really needs more oil and they're the only ones that can supply it. So at this point, the trajectory seems to be one where just a few countries have all the control and everything's going just fine for them. And another question, because I know this is going to come up from time to time. Is there a risk that the U.S. might release even more from their SPR? Yeah, legally, there's questions about how much Biden could act unilaterally to do that. Congress could certainly draft a bill to do it. The USSPR is well in excess of requirements of 90 days of import cover that are set by the IEA. In fact, they could probably draw down about half of the SPR, which is currently 600 million barrels before they got to that level. There are already some mandated sales that go through even the early 2030s that kind of cut that down. But there, there is a risk that if everybody got behind it, including Congress, that the US could release a good amount of oil. All right. So let's circle back to what's happening in Iran and especially uh, with respect to uh, talks that are ongoing. I mean, it's still you know a large and looming theme over overhanging what we're seeing in crude and, and energy prices and, of course, in other markets as well. Do you see any resolution to that theme in the coming months? If you had asked me that question about a month ago, I would have said there's very little chance. But there's been some recent leaks in the uh, Iran media that suggest that uh, the economic struggles are risking some popular uprising. And there have been suggestions from some of the clerics to uh, the new president, Racy to the go ahead and try to get a deal done. 
it's still up in the air. I think it's still about 50-50, but that's a lot better than closer to zero, as I thought before. And the U.S. has basically imposed a deadline of late Jan to early February. So I think we're going to know pretty shortly which direction this is going. But even if a deal were to be met, it's likely to take several months for this to play out. And uh, Iranian oil will probably not come back until the second half of 22 at best. But once it does, and depending on the timing, that could force OPEC to either pause or even cut their production quotas to make room for Iran. Let's switch over to natural gas now. We know that prices have been increasing there as well over the last 12 months. Can you hash out why this is for our listeners? Why has Prompt Natty been so bid over the last year? Yeah, well, it's off quite a bit from where it was in Europe in particular, which has been where most of the headlines have been. In the first half of 21, it averaged in a pretty normal 5 to $10 per MMBTU range. And currently, it's around 25 to 30 which is quite high compared to that, but it that's down from a peak of $60. This traces a lot back to the same story as oil, where demands recovered faster than supply, and there's been a lack of investment in supply. But there are other factors as well, including carbon pricing in Europe, effectively forcing the uh, switching price for coal versus natural gas a lot higher. And that price has effectively been exported to Asia as well and its competition for LNG volume uh, with Europe. And finally, uh, Russia has drastically reduced its exports, in particular this winter, in an effort to encourage a quick approval of Nord Stream 2. And that's a pipeline that would allow it to export gas to Europe, Germany, and bypass Ukraine. So what's the latest on Nord Stream 2? Certainly we hear a lot about the, you know, the static there and what's happening, but where do the different parties stand on it so far? Yeah, well, Germany definitely wants it approved. Russia obviously wants it approved. And uh, most of the other countries are either indifferent or definitely do not want it improved, in, approved, including Ukraine, obviously, and, and other Eastern European countries. It's currently stuck in German and EU regulatory approvals. The first step is Gazprom converting a subsidiary from a Swiss to a German company. Once that's done, Germany and the EU each have about a couple of months to sign off on this, which puts a time frame for in-service probably around October, just ahead of next winter. But that assumes that the pipeline does not get further tangled in tensions with Russia and Ukraine or sanctioned by the U.S. So there is still some chance that the pipeline never gets completed. And you brought up a good point with respect to the Russia-Ukraine situation. And of course, uh, we did have talks there between the U.S. and Russia last week. What's the end game there that you see? I mean, is this really going to drag on into a stalemate uh, and we don't get any sort of resolution? Uh, Naturally, that will have implications for Nord Stream 2, like you mentioned. What do you think is going to happen there over the next couple of months or so? And I I should just clarify for our uh, listeners that we're recording this uh, uh, before, you know, we've uh, seen any sort of action or invasion from Russia into Ukraine. But certainly that's been flagged as a risk uh, from President Biden over the last couple of days or so. Well, I can see Russia continuing to press the issue because they have the upper hand for sure. The EU is has an energy shortage right now and russia is a huge supplier so they they don't really have any leverage there the u.s recognizes that so they can apply sanctions but i think that the impact of those sanctions is can only be limited given the leverage that russia has i think that russia is really looking for some concessions here that they're likely to get and what about the situation in kazakhstan do you see that continuing to being a risk or is that more or less contained for now Yeah, it's been contained by Russia. Russia does not want that country to destabilize, and they immediately sent in troops, of course, at the uh, 
request of the Kazakhstan government. But that situation seems to be largely resolved. And that's been, I guess, maybe, I don't know if stable is the right word, but that country has been a stable commodity supplier for many, many years. So I expect that that to continue to be the case. Okay. So now's my chance to once again, hold your feet to the fire. What are you expecting for crude prices and natural gas prices over the next couple of quarters? What are your upside and downside risks to this view? Yeah, well, until supply for oil exceeds demand, prices should remain at this level with the risk, obviously, that it spikes to $90 plus if there are further supply disruptions in the short term. But we do see supply exceeding demand somewhere in the Q2 timeframe, which should allow prices to pull back into the uh, $65 to $70 range for 22 and 23, given the storage builds that we expect over the full years. The biggest downside risk to prices is a quick Iran deal, which brings back that million and a half barrels a day, as I said, and may even force OPEC to have to cut. Uh, For natural gas prices, definitely more focused on the U.S. In general, we think that prices have upside risk. We do see that the current forward curve should ensure sufficient supply, assuming normal weather conditions. But normal weather is a tall task these days. So if we were to get any kind of cold, the elasticity of both demand and supply are much lower And so if we get cold weather, either this winter or next winter, once again, we're in a uh, regime where prices can go much higher to try to close the gap to Europe. Right on. So if I were to say what's your target for the end of Q1 and also what's your target for the second half this year, what would you give me for prompt crude? For prompt crude, I think uh, by the end of Q1, we should be down in the $75 type range. And by the end of the year, we should be closer to 70. That fits in nicely with what we're expecting for petrocurrencies this year as well. Uh, Given that we are embarking on a rate hike cycle for several central banks, including here in Canada, we do think that the foreign exchange element or the Canadian dollar will take on less of an impetus from what's happening in the commodity space and start focusing more on what's happening with respect to front end spreads, which here in Canada, we expect to converge between the United States and Canada over the coming uh, period. And to us, that means they're building risks towards a weaker Canadian dollar, especially as we move into the second half of this year. And of course, if we do see softer commodity prices, uh, potentially a retracement back for prompt crude to the $70 range that Sean mentioned, that should also support our view for upside in uh, dollar CAD. Uh, And again, we do see some potential of uh, dollar CAD moving towards our longer term target of 129 to 130. Uh, And that's certainly the the, uh, threshold that uh, we would flag as the uh, uh, more medium to long term target uh, to our listeners out there. So with that being said, Sean, thanks again for joining us today. We'd love to have you back and best of luck. Let's keep an eye on the crude market and see what happens next. Yep. Thanks for having me. The information and data contained here and has been obtained or derived from sources believed to be reliable without independent verification by CIBC Capital Markets and to the extent that such information and data is based on sources outside CIBC Capital Markets, we do not represent or warrant that any such information or data is accurate, adequate, or complete. Notwithstanding anything to the contrary herein, CIBC World Markets Inc. and or any affiliate thereof shall not assume any responsibility or liability of any nature in connection with any of the contents of this communication. CIBC World Markets Inc. or its affiliates may engage in trading strategies or hold positions in the issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments discussed 
in this communication and may abandon such trading strategies or unwind such positions at any time without notice. CIBC Capital Markets is a trademark brand name under which different legal entities provide different services under this umbrella brand. Products and or services offered through CIBC Capital Markets include products and or services offered by the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and various of its subsidiaries. For more information about these legal entities and about the products and services offered by CIBC Capital Markets, please visit www.cibccm.com. Speakers on this podcast are not research analysts, and this communication is not the product of any CIBC World Markets Inc. research department, nor should it be construed as a research report. Speakers on this podcast do not have any actual implied or apparent authority to act on behalf of any issuer mentioned. The commentary and opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals, except where the speaker expressly states them to be the opinions of CIBC World Markets Inc. Speakers may provide short-term trading views or ideas on issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments, but investors should not expect continuing analysis, views, or discussion relating to these instruments discussed herein. Any information provided herein is not intended to represent an adequate basis for investors to make an informed investment decision and is subject to change without notice. CIBC World Markets Inc. or its affiliates may engage in trading strategies or hold positions in the issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments discussed in this communication and may abandon such trading strategies or unwind such positions at any time without notice.